Philippians 3, 10 and 11. And this is what it says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Wow. Wow. It's a lot right there. Amen. That I may know him. This is the prayer that we should all have deep within our spirit, man. Oh, God, I just want to know you more. This should be something that we cry out for day and night and night and day. Oh, Lord, I just want to know. I need to know you more. Oh, Lord, I thank you for what you have given me. I thank you for the relationship. I thank you for intimacy. But, oh, God, I need more. Do we pray that? We should pray that. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. We know him in the power of his resurrection. We, we know the power of God's resurrection, but we also get to know him in the sufferings, right? The fellowship of his sufferings. You only know someone fully, truly, intimately when you've walked difficult paths with them. You don't only, you don't really know someone until you've done so. You, you can walk with someone in the high times of life, the celebration, all the victory, and that's wonderful. But when you walk with someone during the lowest times of their life, then you actually start to really know them. Then your, your hearts become knit together. And we want our hearts to be knit together with Jesus. Every time a difficult situation in your life rises up, and we all have them, it is an opportunity for you to literally draw closer to Jesus that wants you to draw closer to him and let those difficult times of suffering actually bring you closer to Christ and not away from Christ. That you would know him, not just in your head knowledge, not just intellectually, but that you would know him experientially. That you would know him beyond a shadow of a doubt because you know that you know that you know that your Savior lives. You know that you know that you know that he lives and he is with you at all times and that he is literally walking with you. And he knows what you go through. He knows what we go through. He literally knows. Yes? Chapter 3. Still in Philippians. But 3.8. 3.8. says, yet indeed... I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, say all things, and count them as rubbish. Means worthless. It means useless. I also count, it says, all things lost. For the excellence of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, my Lord. In other words, nothing, nothing at all can stand in comparison to the love of God in you, to your relationship with Christ. Nothing at all. For the knowledge of Jesus Christ, my Lord, from whom I have suffered the loss of all things, but I count them as rubbish. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that I may gain Christ. Will you allow any suffering to lead you closer to Christ because that's what he wants. He wants you to literally press in one life for the life of many, church. One life for the life of many. The power of the resurrection. Turn your Bibles to John chapter 12. John chapter 12, starting in verse 23. 
You guys remember the, the grain of wheat? And, and, and until that grain of wheat dies, it produces nothing. Well, verse 23, Jesus answered, and he said, The hour has come. The Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies. It remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. Don't curse your crisis. If it dies, it produces much grain. How many of you want to have much grain produced in your life? If it dies, if it doesn't die, it doesn't produce much. In death comes life. One life for the life of many. And then it says in verse 26, if anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him, my father, will honor. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word. Father, we thank you, Lord God, that the entrance of your words, oh, they give light. It, it gives understanding to the simple. This is what your word says, Father. The entrance of your words, they give light. They give understanding to the simple. So, Father, right now, I thank you that every ear will hear and every eye will see and understand. Every heart will understand. Father God, what you're saying here in this hour, Father God, we bless you, Father. Father, let our lives be marked out by heaven, by our Savior. Marked by the approval of heaven, the Son of God became the ultimate living sacrifice for a people who would mock him, who would beat him, who would betray him, who would forsake him and kill him. Mm -hmm. But he was marked by heaven. He was marked by heaven, but he, he, he became the ultimate sacrifice for a people that would completely turn their backs. For God's plan for mankind was much greater than what anyone could have ever imagined. That means God's plan for you is much greater than anything you could have ever imagined. His life was marked out by the approval of heaven, the Son of God. We're speaking of Jesus. His life was marked out by the approval of his heavenly Father, but yet he still had to suffer horrendous sufferings, and he did so willingly. Because he loves us. He did, so, he did so because he loves us, right? Glory to God. He gave his life as a ransom for many. Not just for one. Not just for two. He gave his life as a ransom for many. Even for those that would not even know they were going to receive him. He went forward. Before there were any yeses in our spirit, before we were even here, before we were even created, he already stepped forward doing the will of God, going forth and saying, Father, I will go for them, for the cross, Lord God. I look beyond the cross and I see my bride, though they are not even yet created. But I see my bride and I thank you, Father. I will go. I will go for them. Do you know this is what Jesus has said and what he has done for us? And so he's gone before you, before you were even created. He already said yes. He already, because he, the, the God and, the, and Jesus and the Holy Spirit are one. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and they're one. And so already before the creation of time, the end has already been written. The end was already known. And you were already known and already on the mind of 
our Heavenly Father. And because he loves you, he already went before you and said, Oh, Abba, I will go. Choose, yes, Lord, I willingly go for a people that don't even want my sacrifice. For a people that will betray me. They will betray me. They will mock me. They will beat me. They will kill me. But I will go because their eyes will be opened. A ransom for many. Jesus allowed himself, allowed his body willingly to be obedient to the Father. And it wasn't an easy thing because he said, Lord God, you know, let this cup pass. Nevertheless, your will be done, not mine. That's why we can relate. He wants you to relate to his sufferings. He wants you to rejoice in his, in, in his, in his victories, but also, also to understand that he does know your pain. He does know your struggle, but he's there with you and he's comforting you if you just let him. Say, I'm going to let him. Oh, I'm going to let him because I want my walk with Christ to be stronger and better than it was the day before, right? And we're so thankful, Lord God, we get to trust. This is really, it requires trust. Church, it's simple, but sometimes people make it complicated. Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 20, verse 26. Because he gave his life a ransom for many. So even while Jesus was doing all this, even, even during, like, let's just take the week of the Passion Week, you know, and all the things that he was going through and he went through willingly. He knew he was going to the cross, church. But he knew he was also going to rise again. He had his eyes on the cross. He didn't have his eyes on people. He wasn't trying to, he wasn't receiving from people. He had his eyes on, he had his eyes on the Father, on the cross. He knew where he was going. Verse 26, yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. That's what Jesus did. Came to serve. And to give his life a ransom for many. He, he came to give his life as a ransom for many. That word ransom signifies a release from slavery. It, it means a release from slavery by the the very blood that he shed for us, that was how he purchased your freedom. Because sin demands an atonement. And that's what Jesus did for us, his atonement. See, his gift, the gift of Jesus is, is, is literally, that, that is the gift. He is the gift. Church, we think about gifts. We, we think about different gifts and we, and they're, and they, we, he wants to give you his gifts, of course. He gives them to us. He lavishes. But don't forget, he is the greatest gift. Not just healing or deliverance or wisdom and knowledge and all this, but what, what, what about Jesus being the gift? If you have Jesus, and I know you do, then you have all the gifts. And the more that you operate and ask him to fill you, and ask him to lead you, then you will start to see the fruit of all those gifts manifesting in your life because you have the greatest gift, which is Christ. 
Almighty, Jesus Christ, right? So he, just at verse 28, again, Matthew 20, 28, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That means Jesus knew when he came that he left his throne in heaven to come to serve a people that would turn their backs on him. And he not just served, but he also gave his life as a ransom for many. Well, what do you mean? I thought, what about all? As many as would receive him. He doesn't exclude anybody. For as many as would receive the finished work on the cross. So if you are one that would receive the finished work on the cross, then you are included in the many. Because he doesn't exclude you. It, he's so good. You know, we love Christmas, right? We love the birth of Christ. And it's such a fun, incredible, glorious time. But you know what? As Christians, we have to understand this season of Easter, resurrection season, how powerful is it, church? It's extremely powerful. It is so powerful. Our Christianity really does have to rest on this. Not just that Jesus was born, as glorious as that is, but the fact that he willingly chose to give his life for us. He literally laid it down for us and picked it back up, rose again for us. Because he's not defeated. He is not defeated and he's not dead. He's alive. But as Christians, it's, it's literally the most important time of the year to celebrate his resurrection. And how much is the world trying to diminish? They, I mean, they try to diminish, you know, Easter and the resurrection and everything is about bunnies and rabbits and everything else, eggs. But you cannot lose the true meaning of Easter because if you do, where is your Christianity? What is it founded upon? What are you resting upon? Because he gave his life as a ransom for many. Remember, he gave his life as a ransom. He pulled you out of slavery. That's what that means. He pulled you out of the bondage you were in before you, you even knew you were in it. You didn't even know you were in bondage. You didn't even know you needed a savior, but he saved you anyway. He came and said, I can use that one. I see that their heart is willing. And then he revealed to you your sin and you went, oh my goodness, Lord, forgive me. Someone came and told you the gospel and you said, really, I need this Jesus that you're talking about. Oh God, I need this Jesus. He came and he made his home within you. And he lives within you through the power of the Holy Spirit. We read the word of God and we put ourselves in that place when we literally say, Lord, teach me to walk through the pages of your holy word. When I read your word, teach me to walk through these pages. Like I want to put myself in these pages. I want to see myself in these stories. You will remember the things that God starts to reveal to you. Because you see it firsthand now. And it's not just in third person. You're remembering a story or you're reading a story and you're, and you're remembering that you've read it. But you, you're literally putting yourself in that place and you're experiencing Christ anew. Do you do that? 
Because I'm encouraging you to do it if you don't. Truly just go, okay, Lord, I really want to go through the triumphal entry. Uh, when they were praising and saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed be the name of the Lord. And they were waving palm branches in just a few short days. The very same people that were worshiping him and praising him did what? Yeah. But see, Jesus didn't have his eyes on those people, even though he rode in on that donkey that had never been ridden before. He didn't have, oh, they were worshiping and they were praising him and he didn't stop them because it was rightful praise. They didn't, he didn't stop them. He didn't say, no, don't worship me, worship God because he is God. So he didn't stop them from worshiping him because he's God. But he also didn't take it as affirmation and think, oh, wow, good. Now I finally have people that understand who I am. His eyes were always on who, where he was going. His eyes were on the cross. Right? And because his eyes are upon a people, all of us, a people that would one day say yes. I don't know about you, but when I first had that revelation, I was like, wow. Lord, you look beyond the cross with joy because you were looking at me before I even saw you. Wow. Before I even saw him, he was already said, I can use that one. But Second Corinthians 5, 21 he made him who had known no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Our righteousness is because of Christ. How many of you guys have been forgiven of sin? I should see every single hand raised in this place. So he made him, Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. In Christ is our freedom. In Christ is our forgiveness. It's all in him. That's why we have to stay in sync with the Holy Spirit. And 2 Corinthians 8, 9. He was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. He was, yes, yeah, 2 Corinthians 8, 9. So, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you, through his poverty, might become rich. This is the divine exchange. He gives you what you could have never have achieved on your own. He has taken, basically, the scraps, nothing, and he has given you his everything, church. We have so much to be thankful for. We have an incredible Savior. This is an incredible time to give glory. It's always an incredible time to give glory. But this is just such a powerful time that we remember the literal sacrifice that our Lord went through for us. Never lose sight of the power of the cross, because in the power of the cross is truly the resurrection and is truly our salvation. It's incredible, and it's just, yes, it causes us to be like, oh, Lord, hallelujah. So uh, Luke 19, and in verse 28, when he had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem, and it came, it came to pass when he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany, at the mountain called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village opposite you, where, you, where as you enter you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. 
And if anyone asks you, why are you loosing it? Thus you shall say to him, because the Lord has need of it. So he told them exactly what they were going to encounter and exactly what they needed to say. And that's what he does for us too, you know, right? That's what he does for us. He literally will direct your footsteps if you just let him. He'll tell you what to say and he'll fill your mouth with his words if you just trust him. He doesn't change. Verse 32. So those who were sent went their way and found it just as he had said to them. But as they were loosing the colt, the owners of it said to them, why are you loosing that colt? And they already knew the answer because Jesus already told them, the Lord has need of him. Then they brought him to the cross and they threw their own clothes on the colt and they set Jesus on him. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. Many at this moment in time. And then as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. And they said, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and the glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees, of course, some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd and they said, teacher, rebuke your disciples. They're worshiping you. Who do you think you are? You're not God. They're worshiping you. Rebuke your disciples. But Jesus didn't do that. He allowed it. Jesus allowed it because praise belongs to our God. Jesus didn't rebuke them because he is God. Jesus knew that this was his rightful praise. And in verse 40, he answered. And he said, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. He's saying, oh, you don't even know. You don't even know who I am. You don't know who I am. You don't know this, that I am God standing literally in front of you. God inhabits the praises of his people. And he is saying, I want you to worship me. And he is Lord. Amen. So on Palm Sunday, they were hailing Jesus, King, King of Kings. But on Friday, on Friday, they were yelling, crucify him. Oh, Lord. I mean, they, did you guys catch what I said? They were worshiping him because they saw what he did. They saw the miracles. They saw the power. They saw his character. So they were worshiping him because they saw what he did. But it didn't take much. It didn't take much for many of them to turn that praise to hate. But if you're a true son or daughter of the Lord, your praise will only get deeper. Even in the midst of hate, others, others hate, right? Hating others that are literally tearing and, and apart and, 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 and dishonoring your Lord. Oh, it just causes you to grieve for him more and your, and your praise to even be deeper. Does it not? Because you love him. Because he's good to us. And he's always been good to us. And he will always be good to us. So Jerusalem is the city of peace. And a king would ride on a donkey to symbolize peace. But Jesus, we know, is the prince of peace, right? 
So the prince of peace was riding on the donkey to the city of peace, but found none. Because they were actually saying, we're going to crucify him. Jesus is peace. He's the prince of peace. He's peace to those that accept him. But to those that don't, he's actually a sword of division. And you know them too. And for some, they're in our own families. They don't understand. And the division, the sword of division is right there. What do you do? You love them. And you stand strong for who you are in Christ. And you defend your Lord. And you speak truth. And you let them see Jesus in you. Because the day will come as it came for you where their eyes will be opened. And this radical kind of love that you now have will also be theirs. You keep praying. You keep showing them the love of God. They see something in you that they don't have, but they want it. They may not tell you, but if it's true and it's genuine and that love is exuding from you, trust me, it's contagious. They want it. So you continue to be the hands and feet of Jesus. You continue to say, oh, Jesus is he's incredible. I, I worship him. I love him, and I give him my whole life, everything, every breath. Don't be ashamed of the gospel, speak it, decree it, but let them see the love of God in you. Let them see the love of God because I'll tell you, if you have all these gifts, but you don't have love, you're nothing. Bible says not only are you nothing, but you have nothing. He says you have nothing and you are nothing. If you have all these things and you have no love. So we want to know God first loved us, right? He so loved us before we chose him, he already he chose us. He loved us. He forgave us. So therefore, we're going to walk in the love of God, and we're going to continue to be that example, that example of one that loves Jesus, one that walks with Jesus no matter what. And it's hard sometimes. It's hard, especially certain, you know, scenarios. But I'll tell you, you, you don't go alone. You never go alone. Because he lives within you. Jesus is your savior. He lives. He abides within us. So he was one life for the life of many. He gave his life as a ransom for many. And so he gave his life for us. Don't ever lose focus. Don't ever, don't ever allow the culture to dictate what you celebrate. Don't ever allow the culture to pull you into something that is not of God just because you got busy and you didn't, you didn't make time. It's important, church. It's important. Make sure you make time for the Holy One. Make sure that you stay right in his word. Make sure you're praying and make sure every day you get filled up with the Holy Ghost. Don't let the devil deceive you. Don't let him trick you. Don't let him fool you. He tries. But if you know your authority, every time he tries, he should receive your foot as you kick him out. He should literally receive your stomp as you stomp him out. Amen? Jesus is too precious for us to get our eyes off of him. He's too precious. Never lose sight of that. 
Don't get so in your head, even with Scripture, that you lose sight of the love of God in you.